Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is titled, Carols for the King. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. And so through this series, what I've been doing is just sort of walking through some of the popular Christmas carols and uh, explaining the backstory of how the carol came to be, why the author wrote it, what the meaning of the song is, and then uh, taking our, our, our church through just a couple scriptures to say, here's, here's some scriptures that uh, inspired the song, or at least tie in to what the song's saying. And my goal has been for us to, when we hear Christmas carols playing at home or on our car radio or maybe while you're working out at the gym or shopping, that you would know what the songs are about and go, oh, I remember this. This guy wrote this because of this, and here's what he's trying to say. And so Silent Night seemed to be a great option to end the series on. And I know for years I grew up going to church singing Silent Night at Christmas Eve service. And so uh, with that, uh, let me tell you just a brief background on how Silent Night came to be. Uh, The song, excuse me, the story behind the song begins in 1818 when a 25-year-old priest, assistant priest, excuse me, named Joseph Moore was put in charge of planning the music for Christmas Eve service. Uh, Moore was on staff at St. Nicholas Church in Obendorf, Austria. As a young minister made his last-minute preparations for Christmas Eve service, he made a startling discovery. It was so cold outside that the organ would not play. He jiggled the keys, played with the pedals, pushed some buttons, and crawled behind the console and still couldn't get it to work. And so uh, if you could just imagine having company over on Christmas Eve and it's just hours before they're gonna show up and you find out the oven's not working, that would be the kind of stress that a minister feels when the primary instrument that is gonna be needed for leading singing is not functioning. And so uh, as Moore started to panic, he paused in prayer and he asked the Lord to help him somehow provide real music on Christmas Eve so that it wouldn't be a silent night. Uh, Well, as he did so, he remembered, the Lord reminded him that just two years earlier, he had written a poem at Christmas time uh, about Christmas, and he uh, started to think about the lyrics and writing it while he was walking from his grandfather's house to church in the snow. And so he remembered the poem, ran into his residence, shuffled through his belongings, and found the lyrics penciled on paper. And uh, grabbed those, ran out the door of the church, and headed down to a friend's house, which was the church organist. The church organist's name was uh, uh, Franz Gruber. So he went to Franz's apartment, and he explained to Franz quickly, organ's not working, we gotta have music, what are we gonna do? I got a poem here. Is there any way you can come up with some music for this? Some chords, maybe? And so Franz said he would try to do something on the guitar and have it ready in time for choir practice that evening, which I think was assumed was going to be an hour or two before the service. So uh, Franz shows up. The choir rehearses the new chords. 
new song, they've never heard it before, and the service goes off really well, and they love, the church loves the song, the choir loves it, and as the story goes, it was a great service. Well, uh, fast forward to just a few weeks after the holidays, um, Father Moore uh, was able to schedule a repairman to come fix the organ. So, repairman shows up in mid-January, I'm assuming the repairman had a busy schedule. Maybe he had to get on the calendar. Repairmen weren't available a whole lot back then, so they traveled from town to town. So as the repairman is working on the organ, in mid-January, Father Moore recounts what happened. Man, we just dodged a bullet on Christmas Eve and came up with this song. And da, da, da. So the repairman jots down the lyrics, remembers it, and then over the next couple few years, as he's traveling from town to town fixing organs, he shares the song with the different churches that he goes to. And the song begins getting adopted by various churches in the region because they heard about it from the repairman who heard about it from Father Moore. And so uh, it basically pushed the song into popularity uh, and pushed its popularity into the stratosphere. And uh, interestingly, I think the story behind Silent Night is a reminder that the Lord's working when we don't see it. And I think it's a reminder that he can bring something out of nothing and cause something to spread and, and work and get the message of the gospel out. So, so in 1816, two years earlier, is when Father Moore wrote the lyrics. And then in 1818, the crisis Christmas, is when Gruber put music to it. There are a couple distinctives about this carol that I think set it apart from others. Uh, one of them is its melody. It sounds like a lullaby. Don't know what inspired Gruber to do that, but it sounds like something you would sing to a baby in the middle of the night that you're trying to get to go to sleep, which has anybody done that before? When you're exhausted and the baby's crying and won't sleep and you need some songs, well, Silent Night could help you out. I want a silent night, please won't you sleep? So, um, also, something else that's unique about the song is its structure. Um, it doesn't follow the typical verse, chorus, verse, chorus structure. Uh, I talked about this yesterday when we studied I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Uh, instead, if you'll notice on your handout in the lyrics, uh, every verse starts with silent night, holy night, and then it describes some things about the night that Christ was born, but there's no chorus. The next verse is, silent night, holy night, a few more things about Jesus being born. <coughs> next verse, so, so there's no chorus or refrain. Basically, the refrain is, silent night, holy night. Regardless, the carol remains extremely popular today, and it's been covered countless times by artists in about every genre. It'd be hard to get a Christmas album today, I think, without silent night on it. Um, so it's still very popular. Some artists, I've noticed, come up with their own chorus or bridge so that it kind of fits today's style of songwriting. But wrapped in the third verse lies, I think, the message of the song and the purpose of the Christmas story. And that is, the birth of Jesus Christ was the dawn of God's redeeming grace. Dawn meaning, the key word, it's, it was the beginning of God's redeeming grace. It was, the, it was the beginning of God redeeming the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And so, 
Why, I wanna answer the two questions tonight during our brief time together. Why do we need to be redeemed and how does Jesus make that possible? So with the time that we have left, uh, I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five, and I'm gonna just read a couple verses and then work through this outline, just trying to answer the question, why do we need to be redeemed, and how does Jesus make that possible? And so in Galatians chapter five, uh, Paul in verses 19 to 21, uh, describes types of sin. So he, he, he doesn't talk in generalities about sin, he actually names specific sins that humans are guilty of that keep humans out of heaven, that, that separate them from God. And so Paul says, now the works of the flesh, they're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, so the scriptures teach that we were made to walk closely with the Lord and to worship him. However, when we were born, all of us, we inherited a sin nature that makes us prone to rebel against the Lord and to run from him and do our own thing. Years ago, pastor and author Eugene Peterson took the scriptures and tried to translate them into a contemporary language to make passages like this sound more current. And he called it the message translation. Uh, listen to how he translates verses 19-21. He says, uh, quoting Paul, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional baggage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival in uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. That's, that's his translation of some of the adult words in the Bible version. It's an indictment of our hearts uh, by God's word describing some of, not all the sins, but some of the sins that we're most known for apart from Christ. And this basically introduces our first problem. In fact, number one on your outline is this, we all share the same problem. It doesn't matter where you're from, where you went to school, how old you are, everybody in here, including myself, we all have the same problem. And that is, letter A, we are sinful. We are sinful. So the problem starts with, we're sinful. Romans 3.23 talks about this. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Greek word that's used by Paul in Romans 3.23 literally means to miss the target. I like to define it, sin as any thought or action committed or omitted that violates God's word. We're, we're all like untrained archers 
who need a bullseye in order to save ourselves, but we can't even hit the outer rings on the target if we try. So our sinfulness is only the beginning of our problem. The second part of the problem, letter B, is that God is holy. God is holy. Uh, To be be holy means to be without blemish or impurity, to be completely pure. That's, That's God. Because God is holy, he's without sin, and he hates sin. He punishes sin. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, the Lord says that we should be holy just as he is holy, but again, getting back to the problem we all have is that we can't be holy without his help. And so until the Lord gives us the spiritual power through Christ that we need to be holy, we can't. So because we are sinful and God is holy, this creates letter C. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn our salvation. James 2.10 says that for us to earn our own way to heaven, we would have to be perfect. Never, ever sinning at all. Our sin nature, though, makes us so proud that even when we try to blame God for being too demanding with his entrance requirements, we, we try to change the entrance requirements. But the Lord knows heaven with sin would not be heaven. It would it'd be hell, actually. And over the centuries, humans have tried to earn their own salvation in at least two ways I can think of. So here's C1 and C2. Uh, the first way that I've noticed humans trying to earn their salvation is by trying to be perfect. I'm just going to do my best to not mess up or make a mistake. Oh, man, I messed up. As I've often said, uh, our depravity is so widespread, our, our total depravity, we're so affected by sin that all of us have either just got done sinning, we are sinning, or we're about to sin. That's, that's in essence how the Bible describes it. And so trying to live a sinless life is impossible to do. Some philosophers and monks and theologians have tried, but they exhausted themselves trying and ultimately failed. It's, it's as impossible as trying to turn down a warm Krispy Kreme donut. It, trying to be perfect and earn your salvation is as impossible as parents trying to be cool or trying to be perfect and to earn your own salvation is as impossible as getting a teenager to put down their smartphone voluntarily for a whole day. Another way that humans have tried to earn their salvation is uh, is C2 by lowering the standard for eternal life. So in realizing that, well, since we can't be good enough to get up to God's standard of perfection, how about we just bring God's standard down? Oh, there we go. We can, we can just get over it then. It's sort of like the old, uh, what's the old wedding dance with the, the, the pipe? What do you call that? Limbo. Yeah, the limbo dance, right? Where it gets so low and so low and so low. Finally, there's always that guy that goes... Steps over. 
think I pulled a muscle there doing that. <laughs> so <laughs> we've tried to lower the bar, and we try to do it not only for ourselves, but so people we love can get into heaven too. So we can say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. he's saved, he's saved, she's saved, yeah, she's in heaven, she's with the Lord, yeah, 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 yeah. Even though they didn't go to church, they didn't repent and trust Christ, and there's no evidence of spiritual life at all. The problem with this thinking is that it's pretty arrogant because it's not our heaven. It's not our heaven. Well, see, what makes heaven heaven is that Jesus made it, Jesus will be there, and sin will not. So, I mean, trying to lower the standards for eternal life so that we can get in and all of our loved ones can get in too without having to meet the conditions for heaven, that would, that would be as rude as like you inviting me over for a nice Christmas Eve dinner at your house and then me coming to your house saying, you know, your house is too clean for me. Would you mind if I dirtied up a little bit so that I can feel comfortable here too? Oh, and by the way, I invited some of my dirty friends and I'm gonna have them come over. I know you didn't plan for enough food or anything, but that's okay. You'll love them once you get to know them a little bit, after a week or so. I mean, you would consider that rude, and you would be thinking, how could you possibly do that? This is my house. It's not your house, Pastor Kerry. But that's what we do with the Lord and with his heaven. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that salvation is a gift from God. It's received by grace through faith. It cannot be earned by good works so that no one will be boasting in heaven. See, that wouldn't be heaven either, right? If we could earn our way, you'd have to listen for eternity. All the Boston Red Sox and Chicago Cubs fans would be talking about why they got into heaven, because they held on and believed against unbelief that someday their teams would win a World Series. So we all have the same problem. We're all sinners that have been that have offended a holy God and we can't earn our own salvation. But there's good news. See, after all that bad news, there's some good news. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter five. So if you would turn back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter five. There's 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter five, and I'm gonna read verse 21. So, so in verse 21, Paul talks about what God the Father did in order to make it possible for any of us sinners to get to heaven and be forgiven and have salvation. So Paul says uh, in verse 21, for our sake he made him, that's reference to Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, so, so in other words, what he's, what he's trying to say is that God the Father sent Jesus, made him suffer the consequences of sin, even though he committed no sin his entire life, didn't even think about sinning, so that we could, in exchange, get Jesus' righteousness, which we could never earn ourselves, so that we could then be with the Lord. A provision, by the way, number two in your outline is this, Jesus is the provision for our problem. So we all have the same problem, number one. Number two, Jesus is the provision for our problem. 
That's one of the many reasons we celebrate Christmas and we sing carols and we sing them with joy. A provision is something that supplies what is lacking or meets a need. God's word says that we are lost in our sin, unable to save ourselves. But Jesus provides for us in two ways. Here's uh, letter A under number two. He lived the perfect life that we needed. He lived the perfect life that we needed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is saying that God the Father made the Son to be sin who knew no sin so that he might become, we might become the righteousness of God, excuse me. So since we couldn't live the perfect life, Jesus did it for us. Jesus then offers to exchange his life for ours. I mean, the difference is hard for me to describe. The difference in value between Jesus' perfect life and our imperfect life. I was grasping earlier today, trying to think of what's an illustration I could come up with that would help us somehow understand that in a fresh way. Best idea I could come up with is white elephant gift exchanges. So let me try this on for size. You let me know whether it works, okay? So it would be as if Jesus gave you the keys to a new house in a white elephant gift exchange and you gave him a George Foreman grill. <laughs> See the lopsidedness there? Or I Googled this earlier today trying to come up with some examples. So I Googled worst TV products, as seen on TV. ShamWow, oh, almost went with that one. Jesus gives you a new house, says it'll be perfect forever. You give Jesus a ShamWow. Wow, ShamWow. Here's the other way Jesus provided for us, letter B. He died the horrific death that we deserved. He died the horrific, horrific death that we deserve. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.24 that Jesus bore our sins on his body on a tree so that we might die to sin and live in righteousness instead. Jesus says, in essence, I'll take the punishment for your sin so you don't have to, and in exchange, you can have my perfect life. So my Father's standards are still met, the standard of perfection. God's motivation for sending his only son to be born and then to die for us are simply stated in 1 John 4, 9. It's a verse that we've been reviewing every week this month as a church. 1 John 4, 9, I think it's on your sermon note handout. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So, so we all have a problem. Jesus is the provision for the problem. He lived the perfect life that we needed. He died the horrific death that we deserved. And, well, how do we get this then? It sounds like a great white elephant gift exchange. How, how do we get this, man? Well, number three, there's a prerequisite. There's a prerequisite for the provision. Although salvation through faith in Christ is free to us, it did cost him his life. And so... There are some conditions that have to be met before we can open that gift. All the Lord asks is that we pray a simple prayer with the following four commitments from the sincerity of our heart. And I've laid it out for you as A, B, C, and D. 
under number three. The first thing, letter A under number three, is to agree with God that you're a sinner who needs to be saved. Uh, you can't get any further with the Lord until you agree with him on that. If we can't agree with the Lord that he's holy, we're sinful, we can't save ourselves, the Lord's not a negotiator. He doesn't work like that. Romans 3.10 says that no one can claim that they are righteous before God, and Paul wrote this treatise in Romans 3 on our total depravity because we need to understand how wicked we are before we can understand how wonderful Jesus is. I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but uh, uh, Christmas exists because of us, but it's not about us. It's an important distinction there. Had we not been lost, no Savior would have been needed. Had we been able to save ourselves, no Savior would have come in a manger. Christmas exists because we needed a Savior, but let's just be clear, the Savior doesn't need us, so he's not going to beg and plead and change his standards or anything like that. So we have to agree with God that we're sinners that need to be saved. Uh, Letter B, we have to repent of our sin. In Acts 2.38, Peter says that if we will repent in the name of Jesus, we can receive forgiveness from God and receive the Holy Spirit. Repent comes from a Greek word that means to do a 180-degree turn. Uh, It it describes someone going one direction, pursuing their own sinful, selfish ways, but then turning and going back to God. Repentance is being so sick of your sin that you want the Lord's help not to sin again. If you want to be forgiven for your sin, then you have to be willing to forsake your sin. Let her see the next thing that we need to do in prayer, if you've never done it before, if you've never asked Christ to be your Savior, is let her see you need to believe that Jesus died for your sin and was resurrected. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And everyone who embraces Christ through Uh, Repentance and faith will not be shamed for their sin or condemned or punished for it, but instead they'll be adopted into God's family as a child of God and be granted all the privileges that go with being one of his children. And finally, letter D is following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Following Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's been said that if you really want to see what someone believes, just look at what they do. I do this with my kids a lot at home. Um, they, I'm trying to teach them this. They, uh, I will tell them, hey, you know, go pick up your room or go do your chores. And then somehow between the living room and their chores, they get distracted. And they end up doing something else. And so, so I'll go to them and say, oh, this is interesting. I'm hearing you say something to me. Well, what's that, Dad? I'm hearing you say you don't want to have your phone today because you would rather not do your chores. No, no, Dad, I'm not saying that at all. Well, your actions are saying that. You didn't do your chores. No, 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 we're going, we're going right now. We're going right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so what people do reflects what they really believe. 
which is why Jesus made it clear in the scriptures, and it's in Hebrews 5.9. You can look it up later if you want, but in Hebrews 5.9, it, it says that uh, Jesus is the source of eternal salvation for those who love him enough to obey him. They have to be willing to do what Jesus says. Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but then don't do what I do, what I tell you to do? So, so don't say that I'm your Lord, but then ignore what I'm telling you. So people that know Jesus, that are saved, love him, and they love his word, and they read it, and they apply it. Now, here's a great list of Christmas gifts. Those that do that, that, that agree with God, they're a sinner, that, that, uh, that, that um, repent of their sin, that believe Jesus died for their sin and was resurrected, and then follow him as Savior and Lord, they, they get forgiveness, according to the scriptures. They get peace with God. They, they get a secure relationship with him. Jesus says, no one will be able to snatch you out of my hand. He said that in John 10. They get access to him through prayer, and they get eternal life. That's a great, great deal. So we had a problem. God made provision for the problem through his son. All we have to do is fulfill the prerequisite. Well, speaking of Silent Night, I wanted to close with a quick story about this famous song. On Christmas Eve 1914, something happened that evening that had never happened before and it hasn't happened since. Europe was engrossed in World War I. World War I had started about six months earlier. And the countries that were involved, especially the Allied forces, hoped that the war would be done by Christmas time that year. When the war continued on into the holiday season, Pope Benedict issued an appeal to the leaders of Europe asking for a ceasefire during the holiday season in hopes that if their guns could be silenced for the season, we might be able to hear the angels that sang for the season. The Pope was also hoping that Christmas season in 1914 that a ceasefire might reopen the doors of diplomacy and maybe get the warring countries back to the table again to come up with a peaceful resolution. Sadly, the leaders on neither side wanted to do it. Neither wanted to agree to a ceasefire. So winter had set in on the Western Front. That Western Front stretched from the Swiss border to the North Sea. The turf had been turned into mud by fall rains, and then it was frozen hard from winter temperatures. Don't know if any of you ever lived somewhere where there's freezing temperatures, but when mud gets frozen, oh, it's brutally hard. It's very, very painful to land on or walk on. Life was miserable for both the British and German forces who sat out in the cold both day and night while their operations were on hold for the winter months because it was too hard back then to move equipment around and conduct operations. And so it was common back then for armies to just take a break and wait for the weather to break in the spring and then go back to fighting. Both sides were living in trenches facing each other with anywhere from 50 to 200 yards between them. The area between them was called no man's land. And it was called that because this stretch of land that was anywhere from 50 to 200 yards wide contained 
corpses and empty artillery shells and equipment that had been destroyed or broken down. So it was just a wasteland between the two enemy lines. The German emperor that Christmas of 1914 had ordered Christmas trees to be sent to the front lines for his army in order to boost their morale. And so that evening, a Christmas Eve 1914, British troops could hear their German counterparts singing Christmas carols and could see just from the distance lights going up on trees, decorating for Christmas. So that went on through the evening and some of the British troops joined in singing carols with the German troops as they were in their respective trenches. On Christmas morning, some German soldiers, oh, by the way, they sang Holy Night together Christmas Eve while they were in the trenches and it was dark and separated by no man's land. Uh, Germans started and then the British joined in. On the next morning, Christmas morning, some German soldiers came out of their trenches unarmed and beckoned the British troops to do the same. Now, what would you do if you were holding a gun on the other side and you saw Germans pop up and become easy target practice, right? So the British troops didn't know, is this a trick? Are they trying to lure us out so then they can blow us to pieces? Or, or is this an answer to our prayers? Maybe we need to blow them to pieces and shoot them because they've lost their mind. Well, eventually, some British troops decided to step out in faith into no man's land as well. And the German and the British troops met in the middle. And for the entire day on Christmas Day, they exchanged gifts, like cigarettes and food and drinks and souvenirs from their respective countries. They even played soccer together that day. At the end of the day, each side returned to their trenches and the war resumed the next day. But these events are now called by historians the Christmas Truce of 1914. It's a true story. It's on the internet. You can look it up yourself. <laughs> Silent Night played a big part of that. I was thinking earlier today that if Silent Night can make peace, at least for a day, between two opposing armies, I have no doubt that the Savior in the manger can make peace between you and God. If you have questions about how to begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd love to talk to you after the service, or love to talk to you this next Sunday when we have services again here in this room. Well, would you join me as we close in prayer? And let's give the Lord thanks again for that silent night when the Savior was born. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for taking the initiative to send your son to be born in a manger so he could grow up to die on a cross. Thank you, Lord, for recognizing that we cannot be good enough or perfect enough or give enough in order to earn salvation. Your standards are too high, and eternal salvation is too good. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much and desire a relationship with us so much that you would send Christ to be the great reconciler of men to God. Lord, I just want to pray for anyone that's here tonight, regardless of their age or where they're from or their church background. If there's anyone here, Lord, that 
does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, would you reveal Jesus to them? Would you, would you, Lord, help them to see that they are a sinner that needs to be saved? Would you help them, Lord, by your spirit and by your grace to be so sick of their sin that they want to repent and leave it and come running to you? And Lord, would you help them to believe by faith that Jesus died for their sin and was resurrected three days later, conquering death because we couldn't, and so we wouldn't have to even try. And Lord, would you woo them to follow your Son as Lord and Savior? I want to pray, Lord, too, for those who are here tonight that maybe have made that decision, but they're not feeling the silent night thing. And maybe this Christmas season has been painful, or maybe every Christmas season is because it reminds them of things they've lost. Lord, I just want to ask, please, would you supernaturally help them to understand all that they've gained through Christ? And Lord, please, would you work in their lives to redeem the losses for good in demonstrable, noticeable ways where they, they could say, oh, wow, that is incredible. I, I lost this, or I lost, I lost that job, or this loved one, but man, look at what God did. He brought good out of something I never thought there could be good brought out of. Lord, would you do that, please? We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.